If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, before you do that, my name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here, and I serve alongside of Pastor Matt and Pastor Sam and Pastor Chris and, and are all of our other fellow elders as well, and it's a blessing. If you're visiting, please come and chat with us after the service. Uh, we have coffee um, and tea and cookies, because cookies, we're a church, so we have to have food. Um, so Genesis 1 And as you go there, before you can have a home, what do you need? Before you can have a home, what do you need? Well, you need a building, right? You need a building by which you can live in, a building to call home. It could be a house, it could be an apartment, townhouse, whatever it may be. You have to have some sort of building of some kind. And a house really reflects the owner to a certain degree, right? I was actually watching something not that long ago that talked about how uh, an individual who had his own company could tell a lot about an owner to the point of if that person is going to be a good customer or a potential customer just based upon what was going on in their front lawn. You know, you drive by a house with a bunch of wrecked cars versus driving up to a house that has the lawn cut and looks like someone actually cares about what's going on. You can tell a lot about what the owner of that house is, what they're all about. We call that curb appeal. I remember I've, we've, Steph and I have bought and sold a few homes and we, uh, our real estate agents have always said, curb appeal and I've always said I'm done no more if they don't want it they don't want it they're just going to paint it anyways but it tells a lot about the owner the house reflects the owner and in Genesis 1 verses 3 to 19 and you see this right here yeah we are doing more than one verse at a time okay okay all right so calm down we see God creating a house for all that he will fill it with for the pinnacle of his creation, for humanity, and all of the other things that God says, the creepy things that will be on this planet. I always like the word creepy, and God's word is always used as a positive, but we're always like, ooh, that's creepy. I don't know. Something to think about. But what does this house, this world, this earth, show us about the creator of that house? What sort of curb appeal are we seeing? And what does creation reflect about the creator? So if you have your Bibles with you, Genesis 1, verses 3 to 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you underneath or at least somewhere in that vicinity. I encourage you to take that, open it, bring it home, read it. It's our gift to you. Uh, We just want you to have it and to read it because it is by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's word that you will be changed. So, Genesis 1, verses 3 to 19, the word of the Lord says this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God created the light, or called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. 
And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruits in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for the chance we have to continue in our worship of you. I get the opportunity to worship you through the preaching of your word, and the rest of us get to worship you through the listening. So, Lord, I pray that you give us hearts and ears to pay attention, to hear what your word has to say. And, Lord, there's no possible way that I can do this on my own, so, God, please make this turn out well. So, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Lord, we pray that you would bring glory to your name during this time that there'd be joy given to your people. And Lord, we pray for salvation of the lost. In your name. The first day, verses 3 to 5, we are now entering into the parts of the story uh, that introduces two main subjects that will be in the whole Bible, essentially. We will see in great detail of God as creator, but soon after that we will see humanity as his creation. The first four acts of creation will set the scene or the building, the house, for a very long time, a very long account of the relationship between God and humanity. It's here we see God giving the earth form as he separates the light and the darkness, sea from the clouds, dry land from the sea. And we see a pattern. If, you've, if, you like those, if you're one of those people that kind of has that beautiful mind situation, you're starting to picture things in your mind, there's a pattern that begins to emerge very quickly. We see that God makes an announcement. When it says, God says, that's the announcement. And then there's a command, let there be. There's a report. And it was so, an evaluation, it was good, and then some sort of chronological framework. For example, that first day. So in verse 3, we see, and God said, and God said, all is made by the very word of God. This is God's free act of creation through his divine word. God brings the chaos into order as he commands creation to come forth. The life-giving word of God comes and brings light. I think of Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Or in Psalm 29, verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. You ever thought about that? Even the deer giving birth is on account of the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. 2 Peter 3, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that heavens exist long ago and that earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. 
This is important for us to dwell upon, to just think about and just meditate upon. If someone says to me, you know, I've kind of read through Genesis too many times and I'm bored of it, I kind of go, I don't think you got it. I really don't. By the very word of God, things start happening. Parents, how's that going for you? By your very word. By his very word, things are happening. And it's important for us to dwell upon. They knew that the same word, the the Israelites knew that the same word that brought creation was the same authoritative word that sovereignly and providentially brought them out of slavery in Egypt and controls all the affairs of humanity. And just as God created the universe by his word, he also creates his people. Everything is dependent on God for its existence. God alone creates and sustains all that is by his very power. And then he says this, let there be lights. If you're quick, and if you read ahead, which we did, you're kind of like, wait, (coughs) sorry, how is there light before there was the things that created light? Now, if the sun and the stars weren't there, what are we seeing here? Well, um, there's ambiguity here, and it's on purpose. But here's my theory. Psalm 104, verse 2 says, Covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Or in Habakkuk 3, it says, His splendor covered the heavens And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he revealed his power. I think the light is his presence of God. I was thinking about this and how the light is like the visible manifestation of the eternal glory of God. God was always glorified. Eternally glorified. But now it's being seen. So the light is talking about God's presence, but... I also think that God could simply just create light because he's God. And that's exactly what he could do. So we need to be careful that we don't get caught in the weeds of the passage and miss the points of what the passage is actually talking about. God spoke and there was light. That is mind-blowing. What we do see is that God's will is irresistible. Just as God calls on the life of an individual is irresistible, so is his will for there to be light. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What a display of the total fulfillment of God's word. Not like a partial fulfillment, a complete fulfillment. God said... Let there be light. And what was the outcome? There was light. It wasn't like on a dimmer switch. Without hesitation, without haste, it happens immediately. That is the God we serve. That is the God we sing to. That is the God who is worthy of everything. That is the God that demands everything and our obedience. And again, in a time where Israel was surrounded by other stories of creation, remember the context, right? Moses is writing Genesis, and he's writing it to the people of Israel as they have been wandering around in the deserts, in the wilderness. 
And all those stories said that God's created out of something that was already there. That's the context that Israel is being pulled out of. But here we see God speaking, and out of nothing comes something. And God said that the light was good, as we see in verse 4. And picture God as this great artist who now has painted a picture, and he steps back, he nods his head, and goes, that's good. There's approval and admiration of his handiwork. Creation does one thing very well. From the very beginning, it proclaims the greatness and the goodness of God. And what do you think of when you think of something good? Not that long ago, I was, uh, there's a show called Parks and Rec. And in there, there's this character named Ron Swanson. And later in the show, he starts a company called The Very Good Building and Development Company. What do you think Ron Swanson is trying to communicate about his company? Outside of he's not very creative with names. He actually says he wanted to convey the quality of his work. God comes, he says, let there be light. He steps back, he says, it is good. The word good that God said about his creation makes a point of the quality and the purpose of what he is creating. And I think about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, who comes along and says to Jesus, good teacher. And what is Jesus' response to that rich young ruler? He says, there's only one who's good. Except, and it's only God. And when God said that there was light and it was good, we see his character reflected in his work. So why we, it is why we can keep saying that saying, God is good all the time. Because everything he does is a reflection of his goodness. And if everything is a, is a reflection of his goodness, does that not cause us to trust him even when things don't look so good? From creation to the struggles in our everyday life, our God is good all the time. And God separated the light from the, de- uh, from the darkness. Over and over again, we see how God separates We see how God separates waters, how he separates the day and the night, and God is creating boundaries because they are important to bring order out of disorder. You know, being a youth pastor years ago, when I was a young lad, you can tell the kids who have boundaries and the kids that don't have boundaries. Very much so, you can tell these things. And it was a little frustrating sometimes because sometimes it was my job to make sure that they learned what boundaries were. But that's what sin is all about. In 1 John 4, it calls sin lawlessness, the breaking down of boundaries. As sinners, we seek to break out of God's boundaries and cause chaos because we are all sinners. Humanity is deserving of a punishment. But in Christ, we have a new heart that desires us and seeks the things of God. A God who has boundaries. And we love that. And we overlook, and we ever look around and you find out and you're kind of like, you're looking around and you're like, why in the world is this happening in this world? Why does it seem so confusing? Well, that is because boundaries get blurred. And that's when things get confusing. That's when things look chaotic. 
but God created boundaries, and with boundaries comes order. You know, turn over to 1 Peter 1, and as you do that, I'll keep talking, but you need to find 1 Peter 1. We see this ultimately done with God's people. Even in Leviticus 2, verse 24, it says, But I have said to you, you shall inherit this land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. And God continues this as he separates from clean and unclean, holy and profane, and as he expects his people to be distinct and different than those that are around him, them. And expects the same of those even in the new covenants for those who are in Christ. In 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21, it says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. For some reason, we really hate that word, but God uses it. So I don't really care what your feelings are about it. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How do we know that we are followers of Christ? By how we are distinct from what is around us. But as he, as he who called you is holy, you also all in all your be sorry, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He is talking to Christians here, not non-Christians, by the way. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. See, creation shows who God is. And what he has called his people to be, who are called to himself. But you can feel this tension that is being created through this, right? Because we're reading this in the year 2024, and we read the news this morning and went, well, it doesn't look very good right now, God. So we understand that there's something that happened between God creating everything good and what we got now. And we will see that in later in chapter 5 or 3. But in verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And God names the heavens and the earth and the seas. And when names are given, and we see this throughout the Bible, even with Abraham and Sarah, there are defined roles and dominion and rule that happen at that moment. And God has created order out of chaos. He owns the light and the darkness. And that first day... On that first day, he says, and this is the fun part, by the way, that, those words. So take a side step with me, because we think we need to explain some of the things that are happening here. And I want to talk about what that day means, because I think it's important. Because we have to ask the question, what do you mean by day? What do we mean by day? And there are a few ways that people have sought to interpret this passage. 
we have uh, theistic evolution, we have intelligent design, we have creationism, are all ways that people who seek to love the word of God have used to kind of interpret what is happening in this passage. I advocate for what is called creationism, as I think that's exactly what this text is talking about. But even within creationism, there's two branches of belief. There is an old earth and a young earth, based upon how you interpret what that day means. Do you mean it a literal 24 hours? Or do you interpret it as, some might say, a day, a period of time? Because the same word shows up in other places to describe other things, other measures of time. In the Bible, in Genesis 1, verse 11, that same word is talking about a 24-hour period of time. In Genesis 1, verse 16, it talks about a time when it's light outside from morning to evening. In Genesis 2, verse 4, it's talking about a time in the past, like saying, back in the day with my in my grandfather's day sort of idea. So now, in Genesis 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, this word is used with the numbers like first day, second day, and so on. We wonder if it means a 24-hour period of time or something else. Could it mean a period of time or something else? You have, to, you have organizations like Answers in Genesis that hold to, and God-believing, God-honoring individuals who hold to a literal 24-hour period of time, and they advocate for that, and they do it very well. We have other organizations like Reasons to Believe that advocate for more of an understanding of a non-literal 24-hour period of time, and they're full of God-honoring, God-glorifying men and women who seek to know what God's Word has to say. And you're like, wow, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because I think sometimes we live in a time where we create division where God's word doesn't. And it's important. We have theologians like Michael Horton of the White Horse Inn and D.A. Carson, John Piper, R.C. Spohl, Wayne Gurdem, who are all open to a non-literal 24-hour period of time. So it's not like I'm up here talking craziness. But both of these branches are called what's called creationism. And they're compatible with what Genesis 1 is talking about. The question that needs to be answered, when we get caught in the weeds, we miss this question, and it's important. Did God speak into creation all things? That's what Genesis 1 is saying. Did he speak and then there was light? Did he speak and divide the waters? Did he speak and Adam was created as a mature, articulated, full-grown man and probably not with a belly button, okay? Let's just put that to, de to de the bed. All right, we all know if you've ever seen a baby that they have a belly button for a reason. And I don't believe you can say that Adam came out of a process, just as God created and there was light, he created Adam, and he was. And he was created as a mature man who, had who could articulate thought. So this is what's called an historic Adam. But here we see that God simply creates as he speaks into being lights and darkness and creation reflects who he is. And as we move into these next three days, we see how God moves the waters into benevolent water system. In the second day, we see in verses 6 to 8, again we see God's announcements followed by the command and four reports. And God said, what another example of the distinction between the created and the creator. 
And I hope over and over again you will see the sheer power of God who creates simply by speaking. And the next time you're like so bored by that statement, I want you to try and move something by just speaking at it. It could be your teenage uh, children. Let there once again, with that, those words, let there, expresses God's will. I love how uh, a man named Walter Bergerman said it this way. The, the design of the world is not autonomous or accidental. It is based upon the will of God. The shape of reality can only be understood as the purpose of God. Creation is, in principle, obedient to the intent of God. Creation is what it is because God commands it. Essentially, when God said, let there be, we see that we ourselves exist only because of the will of God. And we are designed to respond to God's will with obedience as he has shown us in his word, the Bible. But here's the problem. Clearly, we haven't done a good job at that one. And this is a part of the tension that we begin to see, right? If 1 John 3 verse 14 says, sin is lawlessness, and everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We can look around and see that there is not a lot of good that is visible in our world. Or sometimes we feel like that. I still think there's a lot. Creation still displays the glory of God. But why is that the case? The issue is sin. Adam sinned. And like on a sports team, if one member is penalized, the whole team is penalized. Sin entered into all humanity, and therefore we are all sinners. We have all broken God's holy law. We have all rebelled against him. And because of that sin, the relationship between God and man has been broken. It's because of that sin, our just God has to deal with that sin and that rebellion and punish the sinner. But God made it possible, as we will see in Genesis 3, by Jesus himself stepping down from his throne and paying the price for my sin and your sin so that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior will be saved. Call this repentance and faith. They put their trust that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient and paying the price for our sin will be saved. Because here's the thing, even though creation may not look like it's good right now as we see described here, we know that Jesus is coming back and he's going to set it all straight. And if he's coming back, that means he's going to judge the living and the dead. The question for you is this, who are you trusting in when he comes back? Because if you're just trusting in yourself, your standing before God is worthless and junk. You're a sinner, or you're resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead, and we can praise God, the creator who spoke life and can create new life in us through faith in Jesus Christ. Then we get into this expanse part. What is the expanse? The word here is talking about like a beaten metal plate. But it's also pretty ambiguous. And there are a lot of theories on how this happens. Even within that whole idea of creationism, there's a lot of theories. Because it's ambiguous. 
but there's a separation of what I think are the clouds followed by the waters that are on earth. Because, you know, we, we took like grade five science or whatever it was, and we learned that H2O has different states. Good. And God separates him as we see in verse seven. And what is evident is that God is creating again separation. But whatever is happening, what is very clear is that God is asserting his power over the waters because it says, and it was so. And God calls the expanse heaven, meaning that God is not an aspect of heaven, but that he is the creator of heaven. And in God creating the heavens or the expanse, we see his He is good and that he will accomplish his goals. And then we get into this third day in verses 9 to 13. And it says, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And just as Jesus commanded the sea to be calm, so the waters do God's bidding by gathering together. Like, think about this. When Jesus is on the boat and, like, the storm is about to topple everything, he comes and he commands the sea to be calm. To stop. The waters are doing his bathing there. What does that prove about who Jesus is? Maybe that as John 1 is, that he was there in the beginning and that through him all things were created. And from there, we see God's command, let the dry land appear. And why don't you think about this for a second. And the sights that would have been uh, as, as parts of the land began to pierce through these waters, this orb of water. The deepest part of the ocean, okay, that is recorded, that we've recorded, because we know we haven't gone all the way to the bottom, is 10.5 kilometers deep. Like, there's not even any light down there. And if you put the Mount Everest and you kind of flipped it upside down and put it at the deepest part that we know about, there would still only be about two kilometers more of water to go. That's how deep the oceans are. That's how much land is. And to me, it's a fascinating thing. God spoke, and out of the waters came land. And when we reflect on on that God spoke and there was water, he spoke again and there was land, what are you imagining about who our God is? See, now we have light, now we have water and land, and that will allow for this next part, vegetation. And the things that will allow for life to flourish, for animals and humanity to eat. And I think it's great to see how God, how we have a God who provides for the basic needs of everything. He created a world that sustains life. Our God provides. In Genesis 22, verse 14, we see Abraham uh, talking about how God has provided in terms of a lamb to, to make a sacrifice, and he calls that place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. We have a God who provides, and even creation shows that. He didn't just start something and let it kind of go nuts and go crazy, and this kind of happened all on its own. He spoke it into being. We have a good God who provides. 
We don't have a God that created and let things go on their way. He's actively part of that. And that's why in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus comes along and he says, why are you worried about it? Why are you worried? Look at creation and how I provided for these things. And then he comes along in verse 30 and he says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you see how important looking at creation is, how, how foundational it is to our faith in trusting the God who created all things? Most of our worry in our life is rooted in the fact that we don't believe God to be who he is. And if he's spoken to being Water, land, vegetation, and then we'll see light and darkness. If you spoke into being all those things, what are we so worried about? Notice that God provides all that is needed for life, but also created the boundaries of kinds as he continues on, each according to its kinds. And these are all these different types of plants and animals that God has put together. God has created everything with a purpose and a design, and God saw that it was good again. And creation shows the character of God as provider and the one who sets order. And then we get to the fourth day in verse 14, let there be lights. And as Israel walked out of slavery from Egypt, this statement would have been a very big statement, especially because of the religion that they were walking out of. It was a pagan religion that believed that the sun and the moon and the stars had power and authority over them. But here we see in God created the lights, meaning that they aren't gods. God created them. They're not the creators, they are the created. And he separated the day from the nights. There's purpose for these lights, meaning that they have a role of God's, as God's agents. And Israel is in a time where people believe that the stars have some sort of control over human destiny. But here they are mentioned almost as an afterthought than even... A thought, because there's a dash there, right? And the stars. We have the same problem today. I was watching a cooking show the other day uh, with my wife, with my wife Steph, and um, it was funny. It's cooking, whatever. I'm more of an explosion guy myself, but I got to hang out with my wife. And they started talking and about how their identity was based upon their sign, their astrological sign, like the stars, and how everything was kind of dictated by that, and how, how, how much the stars get to decide who they are. And many will go to the papers or websites, depending upon who you are, and check out what is in store for them today. They'll look at the, uh, at, the, at, at the stars chart or whatever it's called, and they say, oh, that's what today is going to be today. I'm like, just use your brain. No. Or we get our magic eight ball or horoscopes or 
personality tests or those dumb Facebook quizzes? Or we keep our lucky socks on during the playoff season because, you know, if I take those off, I'm going to lose. Or I'm not going to shave because you're going to win. It has not worked for the Leafs for decades. <laughs> so just give that up and shave. Your wife will love you. Unless you're my wife, I have to not shave. How about those posts that say, if you don't love Jesus, unless you repost them? How about opening your Bible up? And the cedars in the garden of God could not rival its, nor the fir trees equal its its bows. Oh, that means me, right, God? Actually, no, it's an Ezekiel talking about the Pharaoh. We still do it to this day. But God comes and he creates the lights, the stars, the moon, the sun. They don't control anything. God controls everything. As the one who placed those things in place, the stars do show the immense universe that God created. I think of Isaiah 40, verse 25 to 26. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by night, calling them by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God spoke and there was light. They say that there was, there's 20 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. So just what we can see with that Hubble telescope. 20 trillion. I don't even know. I'd have to think of how many zeros that is. Or sorry, 2 trillion. And each galaxy, they think that there's 100 million stars in the average galaxy. So do the math. Not me. Every light we see that is in the sky has been placed there by the God who spoke it into being. And not only that, he can name them. There are people in this room that I still have to ask what your name is. What does this show about our creator? When the psalmist said the heavens declare the glory of the Lord... That's what he was thinking about. And though, and through faith in Jesus, we can have a relationship with him and we can be known and know the very one who spoke into being the stars. And God set them into the expanse. And he gives them a, 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 he gives them a role as they rule over the day and the night. God concludes the building of this house and he will begin to fill it to make it a home. By his word, things were created. You know, I was fascinated about this this week. I was reading an article about the, the, one of the moons around Saturn, I think it was. I think it was called Titan. And apparently, NASA found a whole bunch of oil and natural gas on there. I have no idea how they do that. It's not like they drilled but that's what they said. And I look, man, 
God has filled the whole universe. So what, you may ask? Creation reflects the goodness of the creator. And when we look at creation, we see the goodness of God. Look at what he has done. Darkness and light, separation of waters, the separation of land and water, all reflect the magnificent goodness of our God. And what should our response be to these things? I think 1 Timothy 4, verse 4 is very appropriate. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The next time you're going to get a burger or steak or whatever, or a veggie tray, give thanks. Every time you get into that car or your house or your bed, give thanks. Where is God's goodness supremely shown? I think it, it, I don't think I know. It's in Jesus Christ. John 8, verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as we reflect on how God created and it was so, we are reminded of how God's goodness is shown through his son, Jesus Christ. We have a creator who there is none like. There's no competitor. There's nothing that's going to overcome his goodness. We have the goodness of God comes as one who is the lawgiver as he gives boundaries and, and divides and separates. The fact that God created is so much in contentious, is such a contentious subject in our world today because if God created, that means I have to admit that there are boundaries. And if I admit that there are boundaries, I'm going to find out one thing very quickly. I'm outside of those boundaries. I don't like being told I'm wrong. And you're, some of you are snickering, and you don't either. We all don't. We're sinners. And that's why it's contentious. But the gospel doesn't end with sinners. It ends with the good news of Jesus Christ, because he died for our sins, and he rose again. As creator, we see that his word is powerful and able to fulfill his good will, which brings up the question, what are you relying upon as you go out as disciples who seek to be, make disciples of Jesus Christ? And I hope you are reminded of this one thing, the power of God's word. How can we even speak difficult truths, convicting truths, truths that offend the ears of, of, of sinners, of idolatrous unbelievers in the face of all manner of secular and spiritual opposition if we don't know what God has willed? that he is the one who willed the light into being that separated the waters and the land. It is the same word that gives new life to the sinner so that they may believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again. More than that, 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at that proper time he may exalt you. This is the mighty hand of the one who spoke into being all things. Come to God who spoke into being all things. There is a lot of safety and comfort there. I didn't say comfortable. It's actually incredibly uncomfortable. But there's comfort. Because there's peace. Because I've been made right through Jesus Christ, through faith with Jesus Christ. 
I've been made right before a holy God. I can do exactly what I've been created to do. God creates a home, and he will soon fill it. He separates the light from the darkness. He separated the waters into the sky above and the waters below. He separates the land from the waters. Creation reflects the goodness of the creator. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. Let us be glad in it. Lord, we thank you for creation and how it speaks of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be in awe and wonder of you and that that would create within us an awe and reverence towards the one who created all things. Lord, may it bring praise and thanksgiving because the God who's spoken to being also saved us by his amazing grace who created in us a new life. And Lord, may we go out as a church to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, declare the one who created all that is around us. May you be glorified. Amen.